Well, good morning, Cornerstone family. Again, as Joe said, just welcome uh, you if you're new and, and visiting today. Um, Tony has had a pretty harrowing week uh, this past week, and so I have the pleasure of being with you today to, to open God's Word. Uh, it's no mere cold or even shingles that Tony preached through last week that could keep him from being up here. Uh, one of his family members was hospitalized this week, and we're thankful that he's now home. Um, but uh, that, that's what brings me to the opportunity to be for you uh, today. And if that's the extent that uh, it would go to for Tony not to be up here, you must kind of be thinking, is Tony worried about who is up here? Um, but I can uh, assure you that that's not the case. Tony has a deep love for this body He's been called in order to preach Christ crucified to us. And he takes great joy in doing that week after week. And I know that's what compels him to be up here. We're, uh, we're studying Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, in our life group. And uh, we were in chapter 4 last week where we are looking at the qualities of a minister and, and Paul, in teaching the, the Corinthians, says that he is their father in Christ, in the gospel. He also says that, be imitators of me. And so I want to encourage you this morning that we would be imitators of Tony. He is a faithful servant of Christ. as well as a steward of the gospel. And we're so blessed. So I'm grateful to, uh, to be here. I'm grateful that Leif is also home and uh, recovering. And uh, we're going to dive into Matthew 27, where we have been studying. And today we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 23, which is the trial of Christ before his crucifixion. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Matthew 27, verse 11. Now, across the four Gospels, none of them gives the full story of Jesus' trial before crucifixion. However, the one element that is presented in every account is Barabbas. God included the story of Barabbas in every Gospel to show us that Jesus willingly came to lay down his life that the guilty may go free. So if you're able, please stand with me and we'll read together Matthew 27, 11 through 23. Now Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave them no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Who do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? 
Christ. For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we come before you today, we, we thank you for the truth of the praise that we are able to, to sing to you. We thank you for the privilege that it is to gather together, to open your word together. Jesus, hide me behind the cross. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just open our hearts to hear your words and press on us all that you want us to hear from, from your scripture. We thank you for this time and give it to you in your son's name. Amen. Now today's uh, scripture picks up from where we were last Sunday uh, from verses 1 and 2. The Sanhedrin, along with the chief priests and the council, have determined to murder Jesus. It's out of their envy and their hatred for him. And on the basis of the accusation of blasphemy, according to the Jewish law in Leviticus 24.16, blasphemy was punishable by death. But only the Roman governor was authorized to pronounce a death sentence, and blasphemy was not something that Pilate was going to recognize as punishable. As we progress through the text today, we're going to go through the verses, We'll be utilizing all of the Gospels as they give us a full story of the trial before crucifixion. In Luke chapter 23, he tells us that the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes devised a plan to falsely accuse Jesus of three crimes. First, leading the Jews away from their duty to Rome. Second, forbidding the Jews to pay their taxes to Caesar. And finally, claiming to be a king, namely the Jewish Messiah or Christ. The third was the only accusation which caught Pilate's attention. Now Pilate had come to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. He normally lived in Caesarea and, and to make sure that the Jewish feast remained in control, he had one goal, keep the peace and thus remain in the emperor's good graces. Pilate was the governor of Judea. Someone in that position would have risen through multiple offices of increasing responsibility, including military command. Historical and traditional records document that Pilate was a cruel ruler who had treated the Jews brutally in the past and had received a direct rebuke from Caesar. So he was on a short leash. John's account in chapter 19 
and Luke's in chapter 23 provide additional detail as to exchange between Pilate and Jesus, which isn't recorded here in Matthew. This first exchange that we see in verse 11 between Jesus and Pilate occurs in the inner headquarters. The chief priests would not enter there because that would defile them and preclude them from taking part in the Passover feast. And here we see the submission of Christ, the Son of God, the creator of the universe, to the will of the Father in the shocking display of yielding his authority and kingship, being bound and brought before an evil earthly judge to be tried on a capital offense as a criminal. Pilate begins to question Jesus, seeking to know whether Jesus is causing a disturbance that would threaten his kingdom and rule. Jesus could easily deny he is an earthly king. There is no evidence, but he doesn't. Even without a defense, though, Pilate didn't miss the truth. Jesus is innocent. Convinced of his innocence, Pilate brings Jesus before the chief priests. We see this in verse 12, where Jesus is accused by them but gives no response. He didn't remain silent out of fear, but out of trust. 1 Peter 2, verse 23 says, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. I imagine that most judges would be enraged and immediately hold any accused criminal in contempt of court for not answering a question. Not Pilate. Not this time, anyways. Pilate was greatly amazed, the text tells us, knowing that Jesus' silence was further proof of the unjust crimes being hurled at him. His silence spoke volumes. In Luke 23, verses 5 through 12, we read that Pilate gives his verdict to the chief priests and the crowd, and they don't react well. They are relentless, pressing Pilate that Jesus has stirred up people all throughout Judea. Luke goes on to detail how Pilate flogs Jesus, sends him to Herod, who's also visiting Jerusalem, and then Herod returns Jesus back to Pilate after examining him, mocking him, and ultimately finding him innocent. By this time, Pilate has a real dilemma on his hands. He's gone the rounds with Jesus, the chief priests, and the crowd that has gathered. He sent Jesus to Herod, and they're in agreement. Jesus is innocent. But he knows the chief priests are not going to relent. And the longer this drags on, the more likely the crowd is to become unruly. And remember, keeping the peace equals a happy emperor. So just as the chief priests and the elders conjured up a plan to manipulate Pilate, 
Pilate devises a brilliant plan by his measure that is sure to appease the people, snub the chief priests, and acquit Jesus. Foolproof, except not quite. Verse 15, it tells us that it was customary for the governor to release one prisoner that the Jews wanted. Pilate, knowing that the crowds were following the lead of the chief priests, determines to put forward an unthinkable criminal. One that when presented with the option of such an evil man, the crowds are sure to come to their senses and choose Jesus to release. Barabbas enters the scene. In verse 15, Matthew calls him a notorious prisoner. Luke and John go on to explain that he had led an insurrection in the city and murdered as well as robbed. This was no Robin Hood leading a heroic rebellion against the oppression of the Roman government. Barabbas was an evil man, guilty of the most heinous crimes, breaking God's commandments and Mosaic laws, and bringing righteous condemnation upon himself. Considering Barabbas's guilt, surely this was a win-win for Pilate. In verse 17, we read, So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Who do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is the Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. In an act of divine providence, Pilate's wife has a dream and sends a message to Pilate. We see this in verse 19. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Matthew Henry writes, This was an honorable testimony to our Lord Jesus, witnessing for him that he was a just man. Even then, when he was persecuted as the worst of malefactors, when his friends were afraid to appear in defense of him, God made even those that were strangers and enemies to speak in his favor. When Peter denied him, Judas confessed him. When the chief priests pronounced him guilty of death, Pilate declared he found no fault in him. When the women that loved him stood afar off, Pilate's wife, who knew little of him, showed a concern for him. We're not told what Pilate's response to this message is, but we know he disregards it in pursuit of his own plan. He took for granted the influence of the chief priests over the crowd. In verse 20, now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The, the governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. 
It's in this moment that Pilate realizes what a grave miscalculation he has made. Henry puts it this way, but to his great surprise, they said Barabbas, as if his crimes were less, and therefore he less deserved to die, or as if his merits were greater, and therefore he better deserved to live. The cry for Barabbas was so universal, one and all, that there was no color to demand a poll between the candidates. Peter recalls the events when speaking to the Jews in Acts chapter 3, verse 14. But you denied the Holy One and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. Cornerstone family, may we take pause here to reflect ourselves. How easily are we entangled with a message from earthly, formulated by earthly men to achieve earthly gain? How easily are we entangled with a message formulated by men to achieve earthly gain? Whether or not this crowd had taken part in the triumphal entry just days before, surely they were aware of Jesus. His acts of kindness, miracles of healing, and scriptural authority. How quickly were they stirred up to revolt against Jesus when the hopes of once again having earthly rule leading to comfort, security, and ease were shattered by the twisted lies told to them from the very men charged to guide them. May the warning be to us that our hearts are just as prone to wander. Let me say that again. May the warning be to us that our hearts are just as prone to wander. As the hymn, Come Now Fount of Every Blessing, so beautifully illustrates, Here's my heart, O oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Seeing his plans had unraveled. And in a shocking reversal of roles, the judge now relents his sentencing authority to the will of the mob. Reading from verse 22, Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. Now say Ryan were to come up here on the stage and tell me, Andy, sit down, stand up, shout. I probably wouldn't do it, and it'd be pretty awkward for him. <laughs> but when I've had the privilege of taking my boys to a Buckeyes or a Bears football game, that's a different story. Packed tight together, breaking every COVID protocol that we know these days, you relent to the fact that you sit, you stand, you respond at the will of the crowd when the big stop is needed, the loudspeakers boom, 
thousands of feet pound on the stadium floor. The entire stadium roars, defense, defense. It's a deafening decibel. In that moment, we're caught up. And it's not until you're actually exiting the stadium and your throat's dry and you're a little hoarse and you wonder, what came over me? How quickly we can be caught up in the current of the crowd, going along with what others are asking for and others are doing. Place yourself there. You're at the foot of the steps of Pilate's court, looking upon Pilate, Barabbas, Jesus, the crown of thorns pressed into his head. The crowd is pressing together. You're feeling your just despair as your hopes slip away. Hearing the compelling urges of trusted leaders, I ask myself, who would I have chosen? But for Jesus Christ, I choose Barabbas. And that is what this text so painfully and beautifully portrays. Not only would we choose Barabbas, we are Barabbas. God placed Barabbas in every gospel account of Jesus' trial and crucifixion to show us that Jesus came willingly to lay down his life, that the guilty would go free. Thanks be to God for our Savior, Jesus, who is the Christ. John 10, 17 through 18 says, For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my Father. Jesus was not surprised by anything that took place on this day. He told his disciples what would occur on the road to Jerusalem. He prayed for the cup to pass and submitted to the Father's will in the Garden of Gethsemane. All of this was according to God's plan, as Peter says in Acts 4, 27 through 28. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. It was God's will that Christ die for the sins of his children. God initiated this before the earth even existed, and God planned to save his children and to pay the ultimate price to do so. This is the gospel. God was putting his son Jesus in the place of, or as a substitute for people like Barabbas, like Andy, 
and he was treating Jesus, his son, as if he was the sinner, so that if any would come to Jesus believing in him, submitting to him, then God the Father would treat them as if they lived like Jesus. He would count them as righteous. Colossians 1.21 says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. We can't earn righteousness. And so God gives it to those who believe in him through his son, Jesus. And for those who know Jesus, let this be a reminder for us and a reason for us to respond in genuine worship and faithful obedience to our Lord. If you're here today and don't know Jesus as your Savior, becoming a Christian is not accepting Jesus in your heart for fire insurance and then going on continuing to live your life for yourself. To become a Christian, you must hate your proud and selfish sin and surrender your life to Christ. Believe he took the punishment for your sins on the cross and lives to give you eternal life. If today you've never come to that place, but the eyes of your heart are open to see your pride the way that God sees it, then humble yourself. Turn to Jesus Christ and be saved right now. Come talk to me or any of the elders and we'd love to pray with you. As we come to the close of our service, what a morning to partake in the Lord's Supper. When we take the bread and the cup, we are acknowledging that Jesus Christ was punished for the sins that we commit. He took our place. His body was broken so that we could be set free. His blood was spilled for the forgiveness of our sins. So in a moment, after we pray, you'll be dismissed by Rose. Come and take the elements and go back to your seats. And after the song, Ryan's going to come up and, and lead us in taking communion. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your precious scripture revealed to us. When we are dead in our sins, children of wrath, out of your rich mercy, God, and out of your great love, you made us alive with Christ and raised us with him and seated us in the heavenly places. Just as Barabbas was able to get up and walk down the steps of the courts to freedom, for those trusting in you, our bondage of sin is removed. Lord, I pray that our response would be a deep love for you and faithful obedience to you.
We love you and pray this in your son's name. Amen.